Hi, I'm Millie Thomas, an eating disorder recovery coach. We've created this podcast to raise awareness about all types of eating disorders and help dispel some of the many myths and stigma that unfortunately still surround them. I would have given up my entire bank savings. I would have given up my job. I would have given up all my friends just to be thin. It feels like it's like a drug. You know it's bad because you know like this is hurting me, but it somehow makes you feel like you're doing something right. I thought that thinness was going to change my life. I thought it was going to make me happy. I thought most of all, and this was very important, I thought it was going to get me love. This is the End Eating Disorders podcast. Why can't I get joy from anything? Frequent thing they heard... The nursing staff heard was it was it was when they whispered in the, the ear of the patient when they're really doing it tough. I reckon you can do this. You know, I believe you're going to get there. The eating disorder cannot be more powerful than you are because you give it its power. It's a part of you. It took half of my life, my eating disorder, and it literally nearly took my life. But we, we've seen recovery in in kids, in teenagers in adults and in the elderly. So there's absolutely uh, hope. There is hope at endend.org.au. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I have the amazing Olivia Molly Rogers with me. Now, Olivia has worked as a model and a budding artist for several years while she studied in Adelaide to become a speech pathologist. After practicing for a year, Olivia's trajectory shifted when she took out the title of Miss Universe Australia in 2017. During her time as Miss Universe Australia, Olivia opened up about her own experience with anxiety, depression, and eating disorders. Since her time as Miss Universe Australia, Olivia's growth has continued to escalate, headlining national campaigns for the likes of Priceline Australia, Victoria Racing Club, and Diamond Exchange, along with working closely with a host of nationally recognized brands. In December 2021, Olivia released her first book, Find Your Light, Olivia's story from growing up as a shy child using food for comfort to the pressures of modeling life to finally finding her confidence, courage, and self-belief. Olivia continues to use her platform to facilitate discussions about mental health issues with the hope that it will help to reduce stigma and encourage other young Australians to speak up and seek support. Thank you so much for joining me today, Olivia. Thank you for having me. Such a pleasure. Now, look, I'd like to begin with you giving our listeners a little bit of an insight into your eating disorder journey, a little bit of an overview. Sure. So I think that my eating struggles started longer than I first sort of realized, I think, in hindsight. I was quite an insecure kid, which is something that I write about in my book. But I think that developed around the time my parents lit up. So I don't really remember having any concerns around food or my body or anything until around the age of 10. My parents split up when I was about eight. And yeah, I think I had turned to food as a source of comfort. And it wasn't until people started pointing out the differences in my body to their body. Cause you know, kids can be cruel, but also don't even really necessarily realize that they're being cruel. I think that they just say things as they are. So if they noticed that I was bigger than them, they'd just comment on it. So I started comparing my body to others at a at quite a young age. And yeah, I didn't like that feeling of feeling different or feeling like I was bigger than them because it seemed from what I learned on the news and in magazines and that kind of thing, like being bigger wasn't a good thing. It was good to be small. So I felt like my body was wrong 
and I became really self-conscious. I hated getting in my bathers in front of people going to the beach, doing any sort of sporting activity because I didn't like eyes on me and I didn't like eyes on my body. And that sort of cha- it stayed the same throughout my preteens and teens while my body changed and puberty is hard enough as it is. I think having that sort of precursor to it was really tricky and hard to navigate. But even as my body changed and I did lose a bit of weight, I still felt very much like that young, insecure girl who had been bullied a bit and yet didn't like her body. And then I was about 17 or 18 when I was contacted by a modeling agency to get into modeling. And I had such imposter syndrome and I didn't think the message was really intended for me because I was like, really? Like, I don't see myself in that way at all. But at the same time, I was so flattered as I think any young girl would be that a modeling agent would see you as potentially becoming a successful model. So yeah, I, I considered it, but also a big part of me was like, no, I've got to study. I need to focus on that. And also my insecurities were very loud in my mind. And I didn't think I'd be able to overcome those and do modeling. But then part of me too was like, I I think I regret it if I didn't give it a go. So I did. And I think that was the big catalyst in um, developing my eating disorders because it was the pressure from the agency that was literally said to me, they told me to lose weight, that really, I guess, everything spiraled from there. And how long do you feel that you were really in the throes of it? When I was first told to lose weight, I think I already was too sort of fixated on how much exercise I was doing and what I was putting in my mouth. I was trying to be healthy, but it was something that I I thought about a lot. And then once she told me to lose weight, I was like, okay, well, I can do that. Like, that's not a big deal. If it, if it means I'm going to be successful at this modeling thing and they could talk, they told me that I'd make a whole bunch of money and it would be amazing. And so I thought, I'm a smart girl. I won't lose control. Like this misconception that eating disorders are something that you can control and something that I wouldn't be, wouldn't become a victim to. But yeah, it started there and it started quite quickly. And before I knew it, I was very much in the depths of it. I think the first year was one of the hardest in that I just wasn't putting enough in my body at all. And I was over exercising and I found that to be the most detrimental to my physical and mental health because I just, there was just nothing to me. And, and my whole sole focus was on what I looked like for modeling. And I couldn't step away from that. And I couldn't step away from my eating disorder. So that was really, really hard. But as it shifted and I became bulimic, I was nourishing my body a little bit more, although it wasn't always being digested, I suppose. But then that went on for about five years after that. So I think all up, it was around six years of, of really being in the grips of, of some sort of eating disorder. And when was that shift? You know, what was the driving force behind the shift from more behaviors, anorexic behaviors to bulimia? It was a social thing. I think part of me, when I was completely restricting my diet, I knew that people noticed and that people could see that it was wrong. And I knew that it was wrong, but I also didn't want to change it because that meant putting on weight. So I was avoiding social situations. Like I just wouldn't see my friends or if they were going out for dinner, I'd avoid the dinner and I'd meet them after, or my life was revolving around that. And I thought I could control it a bit more if I still, if I went and I ate the food, but then I got rid of it later. But also it wasn't, 
it was kind of a decision like that, but at the same time, it was just this loss of control. It was like, I would end up eating things that I didn't want to eat because I was so hungry and I was so deprived and I needed it. And then I would binge and then the guilt would just completely take over. And I just felt like I had to get rid of it. So it was partly a decision, a conscious decision, but it was also just this thing that I, just this like compulsion that I couldn't control. It so very quickly turns from that, doesn't it? To this conscious decision that you are making for what you believe at the time is rational reasons to then being this absolute compulsion. And in the beginning, it's about, okay, control. And then you just, it's, you're just so out of control that you don't even know where to go next. Yeah. It's very overwhelming. And I found that when I did make myself sick or I was abusing laxatives as well, like I just needed this, I, I was striving for this feeling of getting rid of everything from my body. And immediately after there would be like a glimpse of relief and like this glimpse of like, Oh, thank God it's gone. But then the awful feelings that would come after that were way more intense and really overpowering that that little glimpse of relief was just, it wasn't worth it. It never made me feel good, but I just couldn't stop. It was just like, it's quite, I know that people who haven't been, who haven't suffered from an eating disorder just don't quite understand it because it does seem like a decision and it seems like something you're choosing to do and that they're like, why don't you just stop? Like, it's just not that simple. It's hard. It's such a hard thing for your thoughts and your behaviors to just not match up. Oh, absolutely. And I think, yeah, I I really struggled to articulate to people over the 15 years that I was unwell, why it wasn't as simple as just stopping, even though every fiber of my being wanted to. Um, And I often talk to my clients about the fact that it takes what Millie's three C's, the conscious, consistent commitment. And it takes that every moment of every day in order for you to actually finally push through and get out to the other side. It is literally a full-time job. Yeah, it's tough. It's so tough. And I think that's the daunting thing is when you're in it, you think that it's too hard to get better. So it's probably easier to just stay in it, but it's definitely not the case. God, life is so much better on the other side and it's possible. And I think, yeah, that's why I like to talk about it so much is to give people that hope. Because I think so often, I know when I was younger, I would see people who had suffered from an eating disorder, but it was never a happy story. It was always like, this poor woman, usually women, she's had this eating disorder for 30 years and she'll probably never get better. And look how sick she is and look how, you know, she's suffering from all these other issues because of it. And that's all I could see. And I was like, oh my God, like that's going to be me. And that gives you such a feeling of hopelessness and, and helplessness. And you think, well, if that's the case, then why would I try and get better? But it's just not. And I think that's why it's so important for for people like you and I to keep talking about it and show that you can get through it. Oh, absolutely. It's so essential. You know, I don't think there was nearly enough of that when I was trying to recover either. And I think because, and that's why this podcast is so important because we're getting rid of that shame, that stigma, bringing eating disorders out of the shadows and into the light. You know, we're not ashamed of our stories. We're standing here proudly going, yes, it was really, really hard, but it's not something that we chose. It, it, It happened to us, but we did choose recovery and it is possible. And that life is so much better on the other side. It's actually funny. I had a client this morning say to me, I think it would just be so much easier to stay in my eating disorder like this is absolutely just so difficult and I said to her absolutely not I will not have it it is 
definitely not easier to stay in your eating disorder. It'll try and convince you of that, but there is absolutely no way that that is reality. Definitely. What If you were to describe to someone, you know, who hasn't been there, who hasn't really got understanding of eating disorders, what does it feel like to be in the midst of one? Sorry, I don't know why that made me emotional. It's really awful. It's hard to go back um, to that place and like really think about how it felt. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, it was, it was really lonely. I think that's probably, probably the first word that comes to mind is the loneliness because I mean, I definitely didn't tell anyone when I was at my worst. And I think that's so common. So you do, you feel so alone and you feel like you're the only person who is thinking the way you're thinking, feeling the way you're feeling and obsessing over things as you are. And it's lonely and it's scary. I think the the fear is is something that I felt massively every day. Just this fear that fear that I would get caught. That was a big one for me because I didn't want people to know. But then also fear that I wouldn't get caught and that I would be doing this on my own forever. So it was it's really complicated. Like you have so many contradicting thoughts and feelings. You know, a part of me wanted someone to maybe notice and, and try and help me. But then also I, the fear of, you know, gaining weight or my body changing was so intense that I didn't want anyone to find me or, or, you know, catch me out or notice my behaviors. I think also like it's, it was confronting seeing how much, how good I became at lying because I am such an honest person. And that really, I really struggled with that because I knew like I was lying to my mom. I was lying to all of my family whenever someone did say something and trying to help me or acknowledging that they, you know, they could see that something was wrong, I would just shut it down so quickly. And that I I really struggled with that. Just the guilt, there was so much guilt that came with everything that I was doing. And, and yeah, they were really hard feelings to, to grapple with and to do that on my own. It was, it was really hard. I resonate so deeply with every single word you've just said. And I think there's that tussle of, I want someone to stop me. I want someone to catch me doing this and stop me, but I don't. Yeah. It's that desperation, but then that other, you know, your eating disorder self comes in and just nips that in the bud and goes, hang on, no, 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 no. You want to be doing this. And it's that constant you know, dialogue that's going on every moment of every day and you're just exhausted and you're in this inner turmoil and but then you're putting on this face to the outside world and, you know, but just every moment of every day and then you go to bed at night and you're running through what's happened in the day and like how are you going to deal with tomorrow and how are you going to hide this? And I think the lying, I'm the same as you, I'm such an honest, honest person and it's one of, you know, the, one of my top values and yeah. yet you're just lying about everything. You're manipulating situations and it's just, it's hideous. But you can't stop. I think, yeah, it's this feeling like it's like something else has overtaken you and it's the eating disorder, but it's like this other person and feeling like you can't step outside of that is really, really hard. And having like contradicting thoughts in the same moment, like I feel like within the space of 30 seconds, the difference in my thoughts was just, it was just wild. Like, I don't know how we all survive it, to be honest, like that period in time when you just, it's just so exhausting. I don't know how, you know, and I I know a lot of people can't do anything else, but like I was at the time that it was really bad. I was studying, I was 
doing my first year at uni and I don't know how I got through that because so much of my brain space was taken up by my eating disorder and thinking about what to eat, what not to eat, when to exercise, when to sleep, you know, how much caffeine I had to have to just get through the day. I don't know how I managed to successfully finish a year at uni when that was my life. Like it actually blows my mind when I, when I look back, because I know how consumed I was by my eating disorder. I completely agree with you. I look back at so many, so much of what I achieved while I was just so, so unwell. And it's, I, I just think back, I just like, I have no idea why I did that. If, if I get slightly hungry now, I'm like, ah, oh, brain fog needs something. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's just, yeah. And I think, but I think that's a sort of a testament to how absolutely insanely amazing our bodies are and our brains are because they just go into survival mode, you know, into fight or flight. Like we've got to do this. We've got to, we've got to get you through. So yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, and it's not to say that I got through it without suffering. Like my, my mental health was at its absolute worst during that time. So I guess it was just survival mode. Everything was just like, we just got to get this done. And then I pretty much collapsed at the end of it all. But yeah. How do you think your depression and your anxiety interplayed with the eating disorders? Oh, massively. I was at my most depressed when I was in the midst of my eating disorder and I think so much without being an expert or a doctor or anything, I just, so much of it was, I think the lack of food and the lack of nourishment, like you can't possibly feel good and happy and well when you're not giving your body the nutrients that it needs and, or the sleep and over-exercising. Like I was just exhausted. And when you're that exhausted all the time, how are you ever supposed to have a good mood? Like I just, yes. I just couldn't, like, I just never felt happy. And I, I would watch it was, I sort of felt like I was sitting on the outside of my life and looking in and being like, this is not good. And, you know, things that used to bring me joy, like I would see like a really cute baby. I have always loved babies and children. Children always bring me joy. And I would see a cute kid and I would feel nothing. And I would listen to a song that I loved and I would feel nothing. And it was that, that like, that was really scary. Cause I was like, why is nothing, why can't I get joy from anything? You know, I'd watch a TV show and I would just sort of be waiting for it to end so that I could go back to obsessing over what I was obsessing Mm. over or studying or like I I threw myself into my studies kind of as a distraction, I suppose. And outside of that, there was nothing that I could do that would make me feel good. Just literally nothing. I hear you. I I did exactly the same thing with my studies, threw myself into that and got incredible results. But outside of that, there was, there was literally nothing. And I think, and and that being absolutely devoid of emotion, I completely agree with you. You feel like you're looking in on yourself going, this, this is not right. We should not be going here, but here we are. And I think for me, it was, I was just so disconnected from myself on a soul level that I couldn't access those emotions no matter, you know, what the consequence is going to be, or someone was standing there saying, well, this is going to happen. Just absolutely. I remember being in a doctor and then them saying to me, you will never be able to have children if you continue like this. Now having children had always been something that I'd wanted um, my entire life. I absolutely no, no emotion whatsoever. Um, and, and same thing with being told that I'll be in a wheelchair by the time I'm 30 with my, with my bones, you know, um, density being so terrible. And it's like, no, you know, again, no emotion. It's like, how can you not be reacting to these things that are going to be, you know, major, major ramifications for you? You just feel a bit numb. I think that's the way I describe it. And 
I think that's because your body can't focus on anything else. Like you're literally just surviving and existing just, um, but yeah, it was like with modeling, I, I ended up booking these jobs that should have been so exciting and should have brought me joy because that was kind of the whole point. That was when, you know, I, I really lost a lot of weight and was striving to become this model that I thought would be successful and so happy and life would be amazing. And I remember booking this job and, and feeling nothing but daunted by it. And then being on the set and the clothes were tiny, but they were too big for me. And I was freezing cold, even though it wasn't a cold day. And my butt hurt when I sat down because there's just nothing of me. And I was miserable and I was hungry, but they brought, they had only like lollies and just food that I wouldn't have eaten. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, none of this is good. I don't like any of this. And, and, you know, going out with friends, which is something that used to bring me joy and, and brings me so much joy now wasn't fun because I'd be thinking like, you know, say a a bowl of chips would come out and I'd have to do everything in my power not to have one and then not let myself have one. But then I would feel awful because I, I thought people were looking at me and like just all of these thoughts going through your mind. Like it's just so exhausting that it's no surprise that you can't feel joy because I think when you feel joy, you have to be relaxed and you've got to be present and you can't really be present when you're in the grips of an eating disorder because your mind is elsewhere constantly. Oh, absolutely. Have you, do you feel like you've come to a place of acceptance with your body now? I do. Yeah. I, I think like it's tricky being in the, in the job that I'm in because I know that people have eyes on my body a lot and, and they tell me what they think of it a lot. So it's hard to completely not think about it. I don't criticize my body like I used to at all. I I feel like I do have more of a neutral feeling towards my body. I don't think I'll ever be in a place where I'm like, oh my God, I love my body. It's amazing. It looks so good today, but I'm okay with that. Like going from the place that I was like hating every part of my body Mm. to now just feeling like, yeah, okay. I feel okay with it. I'm grateful. I'm so grateful for my body. I'm grateful for the fact that it, it survived through what I put it through and that like, it's, I feel like my body forgave me if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, because I was punishing it for so long and I was so mean to it. And the way I spoke to my body and thought about my body, like I feel like I was abusing, <laughs> abusing my body. Yes. And, and I feel so grateful that my, that it stuck around, if that makes sense. I think anyone who's gone through recovery knows that feeling of like, yeah, sort of coming to this place where instead of hating it, I'm like, oh, thank God you're here. Like, thank God you stuck by me. But yeah, I, it, it's a tricky it's a tricky question, I think. Cause yeah, people say to me all the time, like, how do you love yourself? And I don't think it is that. I don't think it is looking at yourself and being like, this is an amazing body. And I'm, you know, I love it so much. It's more acknowledging the things that I can do and the things that I'm grateful for. Like I, I feel so lucky that I can run and not get obsessed with running. Um, I I ran a marathon last year and the, the fact that I could do that without becoming obsessed and without restricting and without, you know, it becoming an unhealthy thing that felt like a huge feat. And I'm grateful to my body for that. Like, I think my body's amazing that like I was able to do that, but yeah, it's, I, recovery is tricky. I just don't, I haven't spoken to anyone who's come on the, I don't know if you've had a different experience, but I, I haven't met a person yet who's had an eating disorder that is like, 
yeah, I love my body. <laughs> Absolutely. I think it's, it's, there's, it's a continuum. I think, mm. you know, there's acceptance is, you know, what a neutrality. I, I definitely feel the gratitude, but I think as women and as men as well, like anyone who just, I, I'm yet to meet anyone who loves their body all of the time. You yeah. know, it, I mean, it's it, it, or not, I think. Like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Doing the work that I do and, and having been in Miss Universe and all of that, I've met some of the most beautiful women in the world and some of them are the most insecure. And I think mm. in a way, as a person who is considered so beautiful or the, you know, the beauty standard for those women, there's more pressure for your body yes. to be perfect. So, you know, you might love certain parts of your body, but then be told by random people that like your butt isn't quite right or that your boobs aren't quite right. So then of course you can't feel completely good about it. So yeah, that's been, that's been interesting too. Cause I think I thought as someone who had an eating disorder, that the way that I thought about my body was, I guess, just a part of that. But I think it's part of just human nature is that we all feel complex feelings around our bodies and, and everybody's got their own insecurities. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So tell me about your experience with, you know, Miss Universe. What effect did that have on your body image? I had only just really started my eating disorder recovery journey when I said yes to doing Miss Universe. Yeah. Um, which sounds counterintuitive, but I think it was It part does. Of, yeah. <laughs> um, I think it was, it really helped me with my recovery because I decided to own it at that point in time and, and become public with my eating disorder. And so I, I told a whole bunch of people, I didn't have a big following on it on um, social media then, but I did a few posts about it and I figured doing Miss Universe, the way I saw it was like a fun opportunity that could lead to something, or it could just be a little fun experience. And I set the the precedent and said to my mom, you know, if there's well, we, she said to me as well, like, if there's a point in time where you feel uncomfortable and you're not enjoying it, just pull out, like, don't do it. And if they made any comments or told me to change my body in any way or my appearance in any way, then I would have said like, no, I'm not doing that. And I'm not going to do this if that's what you want. But they had said to me, we're not going to do that. We love you as you are, you know, just be you. And they said, it's a great opportunity to have a platform where you can talk about the things that are important to you. So I thought, well, this could be a really good way to shake off some stigma around an eating disorder and to talk about that. And, you know, five years on, that's literally what I'm doing. I wouldn't be having this conversation with you right now if I, if I hadn't done that. And I think too, like suddenly becoming public with my eating disorder, as daunting as it was, it held me accountable. And at that point in time, I was really trying to break my habit of, you know, my, my bulimic habits, um, and laxative abuse. And I had gone for, I think maybe six months without doing any of that. And having put it out there, it was that old fear that I had that people would catch me. That was more heightened, but it's, I think it stopped me from acting on it because I'd be like, so scared that someone would catch me out and be like, well, you're not better. And I know that that maybe sounds a bit unhealthy, that pressure, but it helped me. Like it really did help me because I think breaking that habit for as long as I did. And the longer you go without acting on it, the easier it becomes. And then I just stopped thinking about it. Like I stopped needing to, like, I, I know you read my book recently. I mentioned in the book when I started my recovery, 
I still wasn't getting enough support from professionals and that's my only regret. Like I really wish that I did, but part of me was still in a bit of denial, I think. But I marked a cross in my diary for every day that I went without acting on an eating disorder thought. So, you know, eating food and then and keeping it in my body um, and passing through those feelings of wanting to get rid of it you know, and that was a, that was a win every day that I could do that. That was a win. So I would put across in my diary, like tracking the days. And, you know, I had a few moments, I had a few little relapses, but then I'd just start again. And, and the longer I could go, you know, I got to hundred days and I was like, Oh, this is great. Like it felt, it started feeling easier and I wasn't thinking about it as much. It was just sort of becoming second nature. And that coincided with, with Miss Universe. So yeah, I think it helped me which sounds, is, it would sound bizarre. I know that to a lot of people, but, but yeah, I think it helped me. I think it's so fabulous that you're able to, you know, so powerfully use that platform to, to shine a light on, on eating disorders. And I think, you know, as we spoke about at the beginning of this episode around, you know, using our lived experience to, to help others feel like they can speak up and to feel like it's nothing to be ashamed of and you don't need to to hide it away because I think as you say really owning it can sometimes be really empowering and help you on that journey to recovery yeah definitely what would you like to see change in the modeling industry to encourage body diversity oh so much like you know it sounds probably terrible (laughs) that I sort of am biting the hand that that fed me. Um, But when people ask me how to get into modeling, I tell them not to, because I just would hate for anybody to go through what I went through. And I do think the modeling industry has come quite a way in terms of body diversity and seeing more curved models and more real bodies in quotation marks. I mean, all bodies are real bodies, but like more unedited filtered bodies and more um, curves and more just cellulite and and things that we all have that used to be so taboo and never would have been in magazines or in photo shoots but there's more and more of that and and I'm noticing more and more when I'm in a photo shoot I'm photoshopped less which is great I used to hate being photoshopped because I was like oh well did I look that bad that you have to change my whole body so that's getting better but even still like I hear horror stories all the time and I know for a fact that even with curve models like you can't just be you they say to you you know, to be a curved model, your measurements still have to be a certain way. And you still, you can be curved, but only in the way that they want you to be curvy. And I know a a girl who's a model who was told either lose weight and be a, a slim model or put on some weight to be a curved model. Like you're still, you can't just be yourself. And I think that's why it's so toxic. And it still has, they still have such a long way to go. I think in the past 10 years, cause I started modeling 12 years ago now, cause I just turned 30. There's been some big changes, but I think I'm hoping in the next 10 years, there will be a lot more and the modeling industry hopefully won't look like it does still. Cause I think I know from, I'm friends with some curved models and they're beautiful girls, but the things that they've been through is just, it's just awful. It's just the same yeah, it's as just wrong. I went through. Yeah. And brands that are trying to look like they're diverse by having a token curve model. Yeah. Like that's not diversity. That's just tokenism. And I hate that. And, you know, this girl the other day, this beautiful curve model was telling me how this brand wanted her to attend an event as the only curve model. And the dress that they gave her didn't fit. 
Like that's not diversity. Make a dress that fits her. Like I just, yeah, I think they have such a long way to go and it's still pretty toxic. So hopefully we see more changes, but I guess it'll take more people coming out and talking about their experiences in the modeling industry to hopefully, you know, expose it more and then actually make some changes. Cause I think a lot of models have fear about talking about their experiences around the toxicity of the modeling world because they want, they still want work. Yes. And if you talk about it, then you're not going to get booked because clients will be scared that you'll talk about them in a bad way. And I totally get that. But yeah, I think that's part of the reason that it stays the way that it does. Yeah. Now, like with such a large following on social media and, you know, spending a lot of time online, you know, you talked before about everyone having sort of feeling like they've got license to comment on your body. How do you, how do you deal with that? How do you protect yourself against that? You know, how do you deal with negative comments, trolls, that sort of thing? It depends on the day. Like I would like to say that it doesn't affect me, but it does sometimes. Lockdown last year here in Melbourne was so hard and I had a really challenging time when I was getting trolled for a period there because we weren't leaving the house and a lot of my life revolved around social media because that is my job and at the time was my sole source of income. So I couldn't escape it and I couldn't escape the negativity and, you know, I'd block and delete and all of those things, but it was still so constant. And that really got to me. But I think when life is in a better place, so like at the moment, you know, life thankfully is so much more normal here in Melbourne and we can go out and about and, and I book work that isn't just taking a photo at home on my phone. Like I get to go to events, I get to do photo shoots, I get to actually speak to other humans in person. It doesn't affect me so much because that's not my world. Does that make sense? Yes. So I think when I can remove myself from it, it's not as overpowering, I suppose. But yeah, I think blocking and deleting and knowing that it's only ever from people who who don't really know me that say awful random things and trying to see, like come to it, come to them with compassion. And you know, I I usually I just try to feel for those people because I'm like, it must be so awful living a life where you feel so bitter that you need to try to bring strangers down. I find that that helps. It's something that I, I work on with my, with my psychologist because it is definitely challenging. Um, and it's so constant and it's just something that will continue to come with having a platform. It's just unfortunately part and parcel of, of having a a following on social media is you're always going to cop hate. It's just finding a way to manage it and know that yeah, their opinions don't really matter. It's the people around me that I care about and my family and my friends and my husband, they're the people who I genuinely care about what they think and they don't agree with these trolls. So, so that helps. Um, but when it comes to my body, like I had to set some boundaries last year. Um, I stopped drinking alcohol about coming, it's coming up 11 months ago now. And around that time, I also started training for a marathon and my body changed. And I think that that's pretty understandable because it was a big lifestyle shift. You know, I went from drinking most weekends and, you know, with drinking comes like, I don't know, eating lots of junk food and and things that I don't generally, generally eat during the week. And so my body changed and I had lots of messages about that. And that was tricky coming from someone who had an eating disorder because people were saying, Oh, are you okay? Like, I'm really worried about you because my body had changed. But in reality, I was actually becoming the healthiest I'd I'd ever been. 
and I was eating really well. And, and that was really frustrating because I was like, well, no, I'm actually not sick. There's nothing wrong here, but people keep putting it on me. And it was making me sort of question myself. So I had to really set some boundaries and I, I worked closely with the butterfly foundation. Um, they've been amazing. They helped me look through my book and make sure that the language that I was using wasn't triggering and, and all of that, which is amazing. And they helped me write some posts to put out there to sort of say, like, just don't comment on people's weight. I just think people can't help themselves. And the tricky thing is when I first got my eating disorder, part of the catalyst was when I lost weight, people told me how great I looked. And so on social media, when people comment on a photo and say, you look so thin, you look so great. It's like, don't say that because it's, you're saying that my body wasn't good before, or if my body looks different to this, then it's not good enough. And that language is so toxic. So I think just trying to educate people is something that helps as well. So when I do get trolled about a certain thing or I get negative comments about a certain thing, I try to use that as a learning experience and a teaching moment for my audience. And, and I think that really helps because when I pull people up on that language, I do get a lot of messages from people saying, Oh, I haven't thought about it that way. And you've made me more conscious and I won't comment on people's weight like that. So, so yeah, I think it can be, it can be good in a way because it can lead to positive outcomes, but, but yeah, it's hard. I'd be lying if I said it didn't affect me. In your new book, Find Your Light, you talk about Instagram filters. Now, can you share with our listeners how you've changed in terms of posting filtered content? Yeah, well, it was about, I think it was January last year that I was having a moment with my skin. I have acne and I've had it since I was 13. Sometimes it's not that bad. Sometimes it's really aggressive. At the moment, it's not great. And that can really get me down. It really affects my confidence. Um, And when you're putting your face on a camera, literally every single day, it's hard not to be conscious of it because it's like all I see sometimes. And I realized in Jan last year that I'd gotten to a point on my stories that I couldn't post a story without a filter. Like I would always put a filter on. And it wasn't like those face altering filters that, you know, shift my chin and my nose and that kind of thing. But they were still, they were ones that would make me a little bit more tanned and like put a bit of a grain on me so that you couldn't see the texture of my skin. And, and I felt a bit safer behind that, I think, but I realized that that's really toxic because I thought if I'm, if that's all I'm putting out there, it's this unrealistic view of myself that then young girls would feel like, oh, well, my skin doesn't look like that when their skin actually could look like mine. Yeah. I just realized that I was adding to the toxicity of social media, I suppose, in that I was probably not probably making girls feel worse about themselves. So I thought if I'm, you know, if I can't even see myself without a filter, how am I supposed to expect young girls to be able to do that too? So I made a conscious effort to stop using them and it was hard. And sometimes I still find it really daunting when I put up a photo that's completely raw, makeup free, filter free, everything. Um, but it's always worthwhile because the feedback that I get is that it really helps people when they feel seen and they feel better about their skin. And so that's what keeps me doing it. I think it's fantastic. (laughs) Too much filtered content out there. That's yeah. And then we end up just thinking that that's a reality when it's actually not. Um, now you recently got married. Congratulations. 
In the lead up to your wedding, how did you manage to navigate all the wed shred, because I know that's the term that they use, um, pressure that is so prevalent? I did a few posts on that because I couldn't believe how many people commented on it to, to my face saying like, you know, oh, what's your, what's your wedding diet look like? Or how's the wed shred, wed shred going? Or I had someone say to me, I'd said that I was nervous about getting COVID before the wedding, which I did end up getting COVID before the wedding. And he said to me, oh, don't worry. Apparently you lose a lot of weight when you get COVID. So it wouldn't be the worst thing in the lead up to the wedding with your wed shred. And I was like, oh my God, like, why is everybody so obsessed with the idea that you need to lose mm-hmm. weight for your wedding? Like my husband loves me the way I am and loves me for me. He's not marrying me because I'm a certain size and he's not going to be more excited on the day if I'm skinnier. Like it just makes no sense. And it's such an archaic um, trend, I think, that like it's been around for so long that nobody really stops to question it and think, well, hold on, why? Like why do we need to be thin on one day just to then go back to your usual body afterwards? It makes no sense. And then forever you look back on photos and see this body that, isn't your body. It's a body that you had for a moment in time. And then just to compare yourself to that body always, like, I think that's so unhealthy as well. So yeah, I really wanted to push back against that and and make people aware of the fact that I wasn't changing anything about my body in the lead up to the wedding. I still just had my normal routine. I still exercise like I do for my mental health and ate my three meals a day that I always eat because that's such a big part of my recovery. And I didn't restrict a single single thing because I didn't want to. And I had a dress that was made to fit me as I, other than the other way around. Like I know that people get smaller dresses with the goal to lose weight to fit into the dress. And it's just so toxic and it makes you so unhappy. Like you should be the happiest and best version of yourself on your wedding day. And that is not related to the size of your body. I could not agree more. Could not agree more. Now, tell me, why did you decide to write your amazing new book? Now, for people listening who aren't aware, it's called Find Your Light, Learning to Embrace and Accept Yourself. I was actually approached by a publisher. And so it's not something that I had considered doing until she planted the seed in my mind, I think. But, you know, over the years, I've shared bits and pieces of my journey and my my story with my eating disorder and, and how I overcame that. And the feedback I always received was really powerful and and I could see that it was helping people. And I was receiving lots of messages from girls saying, you know, I hadn't told anybody about my eating disorder, but I have because of you and and amazing messages like that. And so when she said to me, I think you could really help people with your story. I was like, okay, like, yeah, let's do it. Like, God, it was daunting. It was, it was really terrifying putting so much of myself out there, but the the sole purpose of the book is to help people because I think the more stories we read and the more seen we feel, the, the easier it is to, to get through experiences like that. So, you know, it's kind of the book that I wish that I had read when I was really sick because it would have helped me to know that someone who has gone on to do a lot of things that like, like a lot of the work that I do, I need to be confident and I need to put myself out there. And if you told me when I was at my worst with my eating disorder, that that's, that's what I've done. Like I just wouldn't have believed you. So yeah, it's really what I wish that I had had. And, and the feedback's been amazing from, from young women mainly 
having read the book and, you know, families that have read the book. So, you know, I've heard from lots of mums who've bought the book for their daughter who might be struggling with some eating issues. And then the mum has read it and the siblings have read it. And, and that is just so amazing. Like it's so, I don't know, I can't really describe the feeling. It's quite overwhelming and it makes me a bit emotional, but it's, it's really special. I think you've done an incredible job with it. And I would highly recommend anyone um, listening today to, to read it because I, I, I think what you've done with it, as you say, is it's not only applicable to somebody who's actually, you know, going through and needing to sort of themselves, but also for, you know, family and friends around them to just get a little bit more of an insight into, into supporting them. And, and on that note, what do you, what would be your advice to parents who want to protect their children against diet culture and body image obsession? I think the main thing is to be really conscious of the language that you're using and the behaviors that you're demonstrating. I think it's really common to think that diet culture is only coming from external factors like magazines and the media and that kind of thing. But a lot of the time it starts in the home and, you know, it's little comments like, oh, I feel fat in my jeans or, you know, oh God, I look awful in that picture. Little comments like that, kids absorb that and they hold on to that. and if you're thinking that way about your body, they might start thinking that way about their body. So you've just got to be so careful in the way that you speak about your body and the way you speak about their body. And yeah, I think that's a really big one that sort of gets, I don't know, missed sometimes, I think. But then on top of that, I think, you know, social media is so tricky to navigate with kids. I just, I really feel for parents with children growing up with social media. Now I'm, I'm really glad that we didn't have it like they do now. I think monitoring it as much as you can and and trying to make sure that they're following positive accounts because social media can be amazing. It can be a a wonderful learning place and supportive place, a great Mm -hmm. community if you follow the right pages. So I think going through who they're following and following the right people, like I've, I've recommended some really body positive, amazing people in my book. Um, who I love to follow. And and I find that that helps me so much. Like if there's anything that you see on social media that makes you feel negative in any way, just don't engage, don't follow it, block it, mute it, whatever, get rid of it. And yeah, curate your feed in a way that makes you feel good. And I think you've got to do that for your kids as well. There's only so much control, but you can try. Yeah, it's, that's so, so important, definitely. What would you say to listeners who really struggle with comparing themselves to other people, not only, you know, their friends and people they're actually, you know, seeing in, in real life, um, but also, you know, comparing them to comparing themselves to people online? That's a really tricky one. It's so hard not to, and it's so easy to sort of fall into a rabbit hole of doing that when, mm. you know, there are so many beautiful people on TikTok and Instagram and and everything. For me, it was different. I I definitely grew up comparing myself, but it was with magazines and and celebrities. I feel like it was less accessible um, and less consistent. I think the the comparison is is way more common now. I think, like I said before, like following people that make you feel good. So if you're in a place where you're looking at someone and you're comparing yourself to them, don't follow them. Or if it's someone that you know, but you can't unfollow them, just mute them, like get them out of your feed. Because if you know for a fact, it makes you feel a certain way, then you, you just don't need that. And I think for me, it's something that's really helped is focusing on the things that I love about myself that have nothing to do with how I look and stepping away from appearance and from obsessing over that and thinking about, you know, the little pieces of you that you love. Like, I love that I'm a bit of a dog and a bit of a nerd and, you know, a bit quirky, like focus on those things and 
you know, maybe even get your, your friends to tell you three things they love about you that have nothing to do with your appearance and remember, write those down and remember those when you're feeling a little bit shitty and you're comparing yourself and you, and you're in a bit of a spiral, try to step away from it, remove yourself, do things that make you feel good and focus on those affirmations and those things that you love about yourself. What was the most valuable thing that your eating disorder journey has taught you? Oh, that's a good question. God, it's taught me a lot. And it's funny because I, like as much as it was the most awful thing I've been through, I also don't regret it. And I don't actually wish it hadn't happened because it did teach me so much. I think it taught me that the external really doesn't matter and that I am so much more than my appearance and my weight. And that the same goes for every human. I think it taught me so much about internal beauty and, and that's something that I try to focus on every day with people that I meet and, and, you know, all of my friends and family, like I, I try not to talk about their appearance or focus too much on that at all. You know, when I'm complimenting them or when I'm telling them how much I love them, I really just try to tell them why I love them as a person, you know, that has nothing to do with the external. I feel like that I might not have learned so much about that if I hadn't had an eating disorder. And yeah, I think also how precious life is. Like I just, yeah. I'm so grateful that for my health, health, like being grateful for that and, and knowing how valuable our health is, like it's everything. To be able to get through a day in a, in a healthy body, you know, mind and body is, is so amazing and I feel so lucky and I don't think I'd be as grateful for that if I hadn't been through it as well. I feel exactly the same way. It's just every day is a gift. It's just so precious. Um, And to be able to have that freedom to just really, truly enjoy it is just such, yeah, I I feel like it's such a privilege. Absolutely. It's such a privilege. And one of my biggest life enjoyments now is going out and eating amazing food and being able to do that with food freedom and not feel guilty afterwards and just enjoy every morsel is such a pleasure and I love it so much. And I think that brings me so much more joy having been through an eating disorder because I don't think, I don't know if I would appreciate food as much as I do if I hadn't been through that. I feel exactly the same. Definitely. (laughs) There's such a novelty factor to it. Just sitting down and just being like, oh, just being able to enjoy it in its entirety and there to be nothing else other than the enjoyment. Yeah. um, and it's not something I, it's not something I think about every day, which I think is great. It's healthy to not think about that every day. But the moments that I do say, eat one of my old fear foods and then eat it and enjoy it and finish it and then sit back and realize that I have zero guilt and that I just feel good is like such an amazing feeling. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Now, what do you think are the best ways that people can support someone who's going through an eating disorder? It's really tricky because, you know, knowing from my experience, I completely push people away and I would shut them down and just ignore them when they tried to reach out. I think being persistent um, without being too intense, which is really hard to balance, but letting them know that you're there and that you know that maybe they're not okay Um but you, you have zero judgment, letting them know that it's a safe space. I think a lot of the comments that I had when I was not well did focus on what I looked like and that didn't help me. That made me feel worse. 
Um, like I wish that they'd focused a bit more on just how I felt mentally and how I, how I was doing that way. Um, so yeah, just checking in and asking if they're okay, not saying, God, you've lost a lot of weight or look how skinny you are or comments like that. They're not helpful. They already know, like the person with an eating disorder already knows how their body looks. It's something they think about every second of every day. So you don't need to comment on that. Just let them know that you're there and maybe try and find some resources for them. Like the Butterfly Foundation has amazing resources on their website. Um, you know, have a look there, read some books about how you can support them. If you're a parent, if you're a friend, if you are really concerned and, and listen to the experts and yeah, if you can find these resources and resources and sort of give them to them and just say like, these are here when you're ready. Um, and just let them, let them know that you're there. But I think until they're really ready for your help, they probably won't fully reach out to you. So I think just being there as a sort of safety net when they're ready, but yeah, from like in saying that, it's different. I know when someone needs to be hospitalized and when they're at that level, like it's a whole other ball game that I am not an expert on, but yeah, just from my experience, I think making sure that, you know, they know that you're there and that you're not going to leave them and that you are going to be there no matter what they say and that there's no judgment. I think that's the biggest thing. Such wonderful advice. Now, finally, what words of wisdom would you like to leave our listeners with, especially those who are still in the midst of fighting the brave fight? Oh, don't give up. Sorry. I think, yeah, um, as I said before, like I know, I know how lonely it is and how scary it is and that you think that you're not going to come out on the other side, but it's so worth it. Like it really is and it's so possible. So I think, yeah, don't give up, keep fighting. It's really worth it. And life is really worth living. You've just got to persist. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, don't be sorry. Like it's, it's so true. And it's just, but I think, you know, when you talk about it and it's just, it doesn't, I don't think it mean how many years pass, it doesn't change the fact that it does still just evoke so much emotion. And then when you do think about that, not giving up because it, I mean, I'm sure you were the same as me in terms of there were so many times where you're just so close to just giving up and just thinking, I just oh, don't, yeah. you know. And and oh, we both I mean, can sit here on the other side and go, you know, please come join us on here because it's so amazing. Yeah. But it so easily can transport ourselves right back to that complete despair that we felt in the midst of it. Definitely. Like the amount of times that I woke up and just thought, oh God, how am I going to get through this day again? Like I just, I just couldn't see the light. And that, I mean, that's part of the reason my book was called Find Your Light because it wasn't there for so long. I couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel, but, but it is there. Sometimes you've just got to really squint to see it and yeah, just hang on because it does get better. Yeah. Hold on to that hope because there is so much of it, even when you don't feel like there is, there is. Definitely. Thank you so much for joining me and sharing with me. I know that everything we've spoken about today is going to help help people so, so much. And I am just so happy for you that you are in just this amazing space in your life with so many things happening for you. You so deserve it. And um, just congratulations again on your amazing book because it is, I know it's such an undertaking to get to get something like that published and just know that there'll be so many people out there who will read it and appreciate it and it will be a bit of a lifeline for them so well done 
Thank you. Thank you so much. It was so nice to chat to you. This is the End Eating Disorders podcast. Your financial support will save lives. Donate at ended.org.au. I always used to think like, how can people not hear what's going on in my head? You get to that point where you just, you just don't know what to do. There is hope at ended.org.au.